Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fan-Sided Podcast Network. My name is Robert Morrison, a contributor at NinerNoise.com. And here with me once again after a uh, little bit of an extended holiday break where, you know, the Niners might have played a couple of football games um, back with me, Mr. Akshaz Dividwila. Akshaz, uh, how are we doing, man? You know, we're doing all right. Um, season <laughs> yeah. is wrapping up. But um, for those of you listening, we usually record these on Monday nights. And just a couple minutes ago, the NFL postponed the Bills-Bengals game due to an injury to Damar Hamlin. So, you know, it's truly, truly a horrific scene and, you know, just hoping that he can get whatever he needs and can hopefully come out of this as unscathed as possible because no one should go through what he's and his family's going through right now. So bit of a down spot there, obviously, yeah. but, you know, hopefully everything works out. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was kind of a I don't I don't know if you were watching it when when the when the the injury took place, but it was a very surreal kind of thing. Seemed like a pretty standard. I mean, he's a safety uh, for the Bills on defense, so he kind of went in for a tackle. It looked pretty standard. He seemed okay, and then all of a sudden took a step or two and just went to the ground. Um, I don't I don't know if you were if you follow international soccer at all, but it, it had shades of a lot of people I was, I was looking at like on social media, they were talking about uh, Christian Erickson, who was a, a player for um, uh, among uh, he plays what is he in Manchester United, I think right now, but he's uh, um, for the, <clears throat> and he, uh, he's plays for the, the Den- Denmark national team. Um, and he had a, a, a similar kind of situation playing for them for the, in the euros a couple of years ago, where he just kind of suddenly collapsed it ended up being like a heart condition, um, which is not, that's not me speculating on what it is with, with DeMar Hamlin at all, but it had that similar shades of like, he was fine and he tried to get up and, and just immediately like collapsed. And so scary stuff for sure. Um, so definitely uh, thoughts and, and, and prayers for DeMar Hamlin and for his family and for any, anybody else that, uh, that might be connected to him. Um, I think I really, the, for me, the scariest part was just like they kept showing the players uh, around him, and they just all looked absolutely like horrified. Um, Josh Allen looked like he didn't know where he was anymore and had no clue what was happening um, in the world, which I imagine is probably how he felt. And so, um, good good on the NFL or whoever it is that eventually made the decision to to postpone the game. Um, you know, I know both teams are in in position to put themselves in good good seating for the AFC playoffs. But I think ultimately they're, they probably don't care about that right this second. Um, and they just make, making them go out in under the circumstances um, would have, I think, been wrong. And so, you know, good on whoever it is that ultimately made the decision, whether or not it was the players who said, yeah, we're not going back out there, or the league just said, hey, we're going to save you from yourselves. We're, we're postponing the game. Um I don't know, but good on them for for doing that. I think at this point. Yeah, definitely. Um, just hope that everything works out all right. It's one of those things, you know. We people always talk about just how football is a physical sport, and sometimes it rears its ugly head. Yeah, for sure. Um, sad, sad to say, but uh, uh, very true. So um, again, good. Uh, wishing the best for for Demar Hamlin and his family and uh, hopefully he'll be able to to pull through 
Um, and and so now I must make the very awkward transition um, into talking about football in in a, in a different light. Um, obviously, like I said, it's been a while since we recorded. Um, what was the was the the Thursday night after the Thursday night game, I think was the last time that we've, we've talked a couple of, so it's been a couple of weeks in the meantime, the 49ers have continued their winning streak. Uh, they beat the commanders on Christmas Eve, uh, in a kind of, you know, ugly, but still, um, you know, well, well played game. I think for the most part from the, from the Niners. Um, but I think some of the things that, that happened in that game will, will come up. Um, we're talking about this most recent victory, which is the ninth in a row uh, for the 49ers. Uh, 37-34 victory over the Las Vegas Raiders in overtime um, against Jarrett Stidham, a technically, I guess, five-year pro, but who had never a guy who had never started a game in the NFL. Um, so very interesting turn of events. Um, there's a lot to talk about here. Um, about this game, but of course, uh, the, the, the win, uh, moved the 49ers into the number two seed in the NFC, uh, for the time being, um, and they can, they could still conceivably get the number one seed, uh, but they had had to beat Arizona and the Eagles would have to lose to the giants. Um, and I don't know, we'll see how that goes. A lot of that depends on the health of Jalen hurts and whether or not he's able to play, uh, for the giants. Uh, the, the league did announce the schedule for this weekend um earlier this afternoon so they have what was there? there's like six four four 25 games eastern time this week or something like that there's a lot of them um because they had to get the eagles giants niners uh cardinals um with the commanders and the and the cowboys um those three teams are all playing simultaneously uh because those are the three uh, those three games are happening simultaneously because those are the three teams that could conceivably still get the number one seed. And a lot of what happens there matters a lot um, in terms of the outcome there. Um, so, yeah, just a lot of games in the late afternoon window on Sunday. Of course, there's two games on uh, Saturday as well. Um, the strangest one in terms of this, and I know this is sort of general uh, conversation about the the weekend, but I, th- I thought the, the most bizarre decision was to... Uh, schedule the Seahawks Rams game in the afternoon and then flex the Packers Lions game to Sunday night football. Now, uh, not not like there's anything wrong with the Packers Lions game. It could be, you know, a, a good game and and both teams could have something to play for. The tricky part is um, if Seattle beats Los Angeles in the afternoon, then the Lions have nothing to play for because they would be out of the playoffs. So the only thing they would have to play for is if um, is to just kind of like crush the, the Packers teams because the Packers win and they get in um, regardless of what happens with Seattle. But if Los, if the Rams win and they beat Seattle, uh, you know, not not looking particularly likely at this point, then then suddenly that Sunday night game becomes the winner goes to the playoffs, loser goes home, which makes gives that game the intrigue that people are hoping for. But I don't know. I thought that was a strange decision to separate those games that way and potentially make that game basically not have a whole lot of meaning or as much meaning as they would like it to have. Yeah, there are a couple interesting decisions. I think the Chiefs get an extra day of rest and the Jaguars Mm -hmm. do as well because it's Saturday, Sunday. Right. And Well, the Titans get, because they played on Thursday, so they get like, they they still had a lot of days of rest, but the Jags played on on Sunday, so they, they get 
fewer rest days of rest. Oh, you're right. You're right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just I understand the logic. The Lions are super fun, and yeah. you kind of get the sense that they play hard regardless of what happens, just with the way their season is gone. But right. still, I mean, you have one winner take all game guaranteed, a divisional game. I guess the NFL just didn't want whatever remains of the Tennessee Titans on national TV. But correct me if I'm wrong. They put them on national I, TV on exactly, Saturday, so what right? difference does it make? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's, it's weird like, to me when were... – I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, it's weird to me when you're willing to take, like, Philadelphia's game versus the Giants and knock it down to, like, a 4 o'clock – Eastern start just so the one seed isn't determined already, but for like right. the last playoff spot, suddenly it's like, oh, we can't, we can't manage this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it is kind of weird, and and I get if you look at the schedule, there were not a whole lot of other. It, it kind of played out. There's what like one one NFC spot left um, up for grabs, and it's basically between Seattle the Lions and the Packers. That's pretty much uh, how this is going to work out at this point. Um, I think the AFC is mostly the same. So pretty much what we're dealing with, with is jockeying for, for seating at this particular juncture. Um, you, you like the Ravens Bengals game would have been an obvious choice, but the Ravens went and lost last night. Um, therefore making that game irrelevant at this point, like it doesn't matter what happens because the Bengals are going to win the, um, are going to win the division either way. Um, and, and that actually, even taking into account what's happening on this Monday night game, if they had lost, it still still would have been the same. Um, even if they decide, oh, we're just going to give both teams a tie, whatever to, whatever the choice ends up being. Um, so that, that ends up not looking so good. But yeah, it, it's kind of a bizarre scheduling thing. And, uh, you know, obviously as 49ers fans who, who would – Probably not to like not like to see the Seahawks for a third time um, this season because uh, we know how that went last year uh, playing a division opponent for a third time in the playoffs. Um, just as soon like to see them them lose and and not get into this into the thing in the in the first place. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting in, in that regard. Yeah, um, it's really. I mean, it's really weird because I. You almost think the Niners would be better off going first seed or third seed just mm -hmm. with the Giants. I mean, I love the story of the Giants. Brian DeBull has basically saved Daniel Jones' career in New York. <laughs> Pretty and, much. Like, that team plays hard, and they've really overperformed with some of the talent they have. But that it would take a monumental collapse on all fronts for the 49ers to lose to the Giants. I can see, like, a team like the – I mean, they would be favored, obviously, but I can see a team like the Packers beating the 49ers, kind of – or the Seahawks, or even potentially the Lions, right? Like, right. it's obviously the 49ers are heavy favorites to get out of wildcard weekend. That's kind of the luxury they're afforded when they've been one of the top six teams in the NFL, basically, since Christian Caffrey joined the roster. Yeah. But – the same time, you don't really want to risk it, if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's 
It's it's a weird one. I think, you know, best solution is the Eagles somehow lose to the Giants and magically, despite everything that happened this year, the 49ers are the one seed. <laughs> yeah, that would that would be something else. Um and certainly the outcome that we'll be that we'll be hoping for. Um it seemed like Brand Abel was all on board like I guess, apparently somebody asked him after their their game on Sunday like are you going to rest the starters and he was like no like they can rest after the season's over like they're we're going to play um which you know totally makes sense like they're the 6 seed in the playoffs the likelihood that they're going to get any further than the than the wild card weekend is probably pretty slim um or you know it it will it will not be expected it would not be expected them for them to get any further than the wild card weekend right to get in and so it's just like you know you you, you don't want to rest the starters thinking oh well we're gonna get them ready for the playoff run and then you end up resting them and then they come out flat in the one playoff game that you do play and you lose and then you look real stupid so um yeah i mean i i certainly i I did a ranking of potential uh 49ers potential playoff opponents in the first round uh a couple of weeks ago and i had the giants as the 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 team i was least worried about now at the time uh the commanders were in the in that race pretty heavily the Packers were not even in in the conversation um but um I had the Seahawks as one simply because of that whole like beating a, th- a team a third time is really hard to do thing um just just quite quite frankly um but I had the Giants as the the fourth the fourth team the team that I was least concerned about about potential with potential first round opponents um but yeah I mean I'm, I'm kind of with you like Dealing with the Giants would be would be better. See, so almost you're almost okay with the the problem is is that you then have to lose to the Cardinals in order for that to work out um, at this juncture, and I don't really like that <laughs> that option. Like going into the into the playoffs after losing to a to a very bad Cardinals team would would probably not feel like the right way to go about it either. So it feels pretty much like it's the two seed or the one seed at this point with the, the three being the lowest they can go, but I just, gosh, that would surprise me, and I would not feel really great about that at all. Yeah, no, I mean, it would be, and, you know, they're not going to, like, we can, as fans, we have the luxury of saying, oh, maybe they should lose to be the third seed, but players, if players had that mindset, that would be concerning. And I don't think right. the 49ers go into a single game thinking, oh, man, we can't beat them. And, like, we're quibbling about, like, playing the Seahawks for the third time, playing the Packers on the run they've been going on, playing the Lions offense. Like, this team has <laughs> won nine straight games. Like, this is all on the list of, like, win probabilities. We're talking, like, going from 70 to, like, 55 at the lowest we're not really yeah there's no situation where the Niners aren't gonna be heavy favorites yeah agreed um well let's uh let's use that as a transition actually into uh talking about this uh Raiders game (laughs) more specifically because you you know talk about a a game that uh, that, uh, the 49ers are heavy favorites coming into and that maybe didn't go exactly to plan um so they were what they got up to nine and a half point favorites, I think, once it was announced that Stidham was going to start instead of uh, Derek Carr. Um, yikes, um, <laughs> that that did not go well at all um, in in that regard. Uh, but it turns out the the Raiders are still a, a team that might still need some some pieces together. I think this is what their fifth the fifth game they lost 
um, when having a 10 point or more lead um, at some point in the game, that's, I mean, that's, that's a reflection of a lot of things. I would imagine that it doesn't bode, that doesn't look kindly on uh, Josh McDaniels out there in, in Las Vegas. Um, Cause usually when you're talking about a team that loses by, I mean, you know, everybody kind of collapses every once in a while, but to lose a multi-score game, uh, to lose a multi-score lead and then to lose the game overall five times out of, over the course of a season, just that, that's got to reflect badly in that regard. So um, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Um, I do want to go over just some small injury news as it relates to the Niners. Um, it looks like for the most part, as far as what we know, they they dodged any major bullets um, injury-wise on Sunday. The biggest one, of course, was that Aaron Banks went down pretty early in the game. Uh, it, it looked pretty bad. He was down on the, on the, on the ground a long time. Uh, but it turns out that it, it might be just kind of a minor knee or an ankle sprain. Um, doesn't look like any of the ligaments were involved. They were thinking it might be an MCL sprain, which has been like the, the injury of the year, uh, for the 49ers, um, with <laughs> Elijah Mitchell spraining both of his MCLs and either leg. And, um, but it looks like there's, a, there's an outside chance. Um, he's, he's definitely not going to play on Sunday. That's, that's too kind of far out or too close to, to, to have him ready to go, but it could certainly be in the conversation for the first round of the playoffs. And especially if they get the first round by that, he would be pretty much all but assured of being ready, which is just really great news. Cause he has been fantastic all year. And you know, the Niners are in a pretty good sp- spot, obviously with Dan Brunskill being there. Um, he's been playing on the right side all season. Uh, but I, 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 you know, he played, played pretty well throughout most of the game on Sunday. So, not terribly concerned, but it is it's good news that Banks is not going to be out for an extended period of time, or even worse that at this point in the year that he you know he tore something and was gonna is gonna end up missing all of next year too. Yeah, I mean, we can't understate how important Banks has been to this team, especially given how he was such a big question mark and people were considering it a wasted draft pick potentially. He's been rock solid, and you know. I wasn't able to watch the part of the game where he went down. I watched the game just knowing that he was hurt. And immediately I was reminded of in 2019 when the 49ers lost Weston Richford and you could just see the offensive line, just, it wasn't the same anymore, no matter what was happening. And, you know, amazing that he's going to be probably okay. Just another reason for the football gods to kind of, Make sure he gets an extra week to rest up. That's why the bye is <laughs> so important. Yeah, I think a lot of people think about the, you know, oh, you don't have a chance to lose. And yeah, that's important. But like, it's January. Football has a lot of injuries. Everyone's going to have a nick and nack. Christian McCaffrey has like a nagging ankle thing. You just give him mm-hmm. a week to rest that up. It's such a big deal. And, yeah. you know, just... Big, big news for the offensive line. Yeah. Um, yeah, McCaffrey was the next name I was going to mention. Mild ankle sprain is what Kyle Shanahan called it. It doesn't seem like it's going to be an issue. I mean, frankly, at this point, I'm not really sure what he needs in terms of practice. Um, so I wouldn't be terribly surprised if he's just limited all week and then he's ready to go on Sunday. Um, you know, just to keep him fresh and, and ready to go. Um, they are still waiting on more tests for Drake Greenlaw. Uh, when you're hearing this on Tuesday morning um, or Tuesday afternoon, hopefully 
Uh, there'll be more news on this, but as of now, it doesn't. There's not really a whole lot of clarity in terms of what the issue is. Uh, I know it's a back. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I know it's a back issue, um, but uh, that was also a scary moment where it looked like he got a self uh, or a, a, a you know self-inflicted or teammate-inflicted wound from Fred Warner, who just got a little overzealous on a tackling situation. But man, he, he you know he he popped right up and looked like he was okay to go. Um, certainly hope he'll be okay as well because he's a big part of this this defense. Um, and the last bit, um, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, um, it's a little catch there. Uh, Debo Samuel, who was already in practice limited uh, at the end of last week, um, all all signs seem to point that uh, if the week goes well, that he'll play. Um, I, I, I got to think they, they want to get him out there, right? Like to, it's at least on a, on a pitch count on Sunday, just to get him to the point where like you, what you don't want, especially if you end up with the number one seed is for Debo to not to have, not to have played a football game in a month and a half. Um, and so even if it's, you know, 15, 20 snaps, very specific things that you want him to do, I think that's, that's definitely beneficial. And then Elijah Mitchell expected to have his practice window open this week. And then he would be the final uh, member of the IR that could be returned uh, for this season. Um, so seems like both have a pretty good chance to play. If you remember when Mitchell came off the IR last time, he pretty much was not. Nobody said anything about him. And then he was on and then he came back to practice and then he played the next week. So I anticipate the same kind of thing uh, this time around. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, Debo Samuel coming back potentially on a pitch count it goes to what we were talking about with the Giants and potentially resting versus not resting. You want to make sure that he's just comfortable with contact again, which it's a Debo, he will be. But it's one of those things, you know, feeling being hit again, just kind of getting through the motions and feeling fresh, feeling like you're not in a new spot or you're relearning something. Everything should feel natural. And I think, you know, another thing that's pretty important for the 49ers in this grander playoff chase is just the fact that out of all the teams in the NFC, and I, this probably is the first time you can say this, they've been there before. They've arguably been there before more than any other team. Tom Brady obviously exists, so that causes some issues. But there's something to be said about players who know what it takes to kind of just like get in that playoff mindset and make sure you're geared up and ready to go. So it's great news if he plays. Elijah Mitchell, equally so. Although Mitchell, I'm going to be really interested to see what happens with him because Jordan Mason has been spectacular. And the 49ers have a pretty, and I think this is the right policy, of not giving up positions to injuries. So you don't lose your starting spot just because you were injured. You obviously have it under much lesser circumstances, but... You can always keep it yours and prove that you were at the level you were before. But I don't know how you take Jordan Mason off the field. He has been exactly what this team needs. And I think he has an additional element that Mitchell doesn't have. There's something, just a little extra oomph in his runs. Yeah, he was. that was the most excited human being I've ever seen when he scored that touchdown. <laughs> he was, that was, he was so pumped. He was like, look. I got a touch like he was showing everybody Just the way that the game was going. I was like, hold on a second, Jordan, don't get too excited. They're probably going to throw a flag for George Kittle looking funny at one of the defenders. So just hold your horses for a second. And then we're good. Um, anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Anywho, um, so let's uh, let's get into the game uh, with a little more specifics here, but um, we'll we'll do as we always do, um, and we'll uh, we'll talk about things that we liked and things that we didn't like. And Akshaz, I will start with you. Things that we liked. I'm just gonna say we talk about him a lot because he's probably the quarterback of the future now, but. I thought Brock Purdy played his worst game and he was still pretty good. And I think he answered a lot of real questions I had about his play. You know, it's one thing when your defense is giving you short fields and the game is suffocating, but you know, defense wasn't on par. Are you able to keep your team afloat? And by God, there were some iffy ones there, but they're always iffy ones with 284 yards, two touchdowns, that'll play. And it wasn't just the fact that he got the box score stats. It was the poise in which he took over late game situations, drove the 49ers down the field, should have had a game winning drive. Robbie Gold misses the field goal. Comes back, manages to make sure everything goes well in overtime earlier than throws the interception, brutal play, tough mistake. One of one of the few bad decisions Purdy made comes back, brings him down the field. He's just, he's at a level that I don't think since Colin Kaepernick, we've seen a quarterback play this well for the 49ers. And that's insane to say, one, because he was Mr. Irrelevant. Two, because he's a rookie. But I think there are a lot of concerns people can extrapolate from the regular season games. I'm more of the opinion that at this point in like how the 49ers play year over year, you just have to win. And you kind of see what players are made of in these moments. And we know the playoffs are a different beast than the regular season, but I think Brock Purdy is made for the moment. And it's a huge deal that if the chips are down and the Vaughn Niners defense isn't able to play in the playoffs or someone's exposing them, you have a quarterback who can potentially basically take you shot for shot with some of the best offenses and give you a chance to win no matter what's going on. Yeah, I, I think that's really what said. Um, the, the one thing that we've talked about on this podcast really throughout this season, both at the beginning when it was, you know, Peter and I, and then since you've been on one thing that we've talked about a lot is there's in this, even when Garoppolo was playing, there's, there was this, there was these times where, you know, the, you know, you look at the Broncos game, for example, um, you know, the defense was firing on all cylinders and the offense just could not get it going. Um, and we talked about that several times this season about like games that they won by the sort of skin of their teeth because the offense maybe got a couple of things going at the right time. But by and large, you look at the offensive performance and you're like, Eh, I don't like I don't understand like how you know they're really fortunate to be winning some of these games um and then you know over the last couple of games with Garoppolo and then ever since Purdy has stepped in it has not felt like that partially because the defense has just been destroying teams up until this week and so it's just been like just demolition on 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 both sides but this week was I think it was important you know <clears throat> you still get the win so that's great um you know albeit not in dominating fashion the defense doesn't look great and you know hopefully what that does is uh, highlight some things that they need to continue to work on throughout the rest of the regular season and heading into the playoffs but it does show you that Purdy's just like all right well you know this isn't going particularly well but here we are um and he, the one thing that that keeps bouncing into my head 
as you mentioned, the the interception, which was like he just missed that completely. Like he needed a he did not see the the safety by any stretch of the imagination. He just probably saw George Kittle wide standing what appeared to be wide open was like, oh, I'll just toss it to him, uh, which is, I think is basically what he said. But his reaction was just was felt right to me. You know, he didn't get like really demonstrative. He kind of like clapped his hands together and was like, oh, shucks, basically. <laughs> like, I don't know exactly what he said, but that sort of seemed like the amount of energy. He's like, oh, man, I missed it. And then he came back and was great for the rest of the game. And, you know, as you said, should have won the game in regulation. Um and then was, you know, you know, had that easy, <laughs> the easy end of overtime, thanks to the defense. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. He, he's he has shown a lot uh, in this uh, relatively short period of time that suggests that, you know, he might be a little bit different than your standard rookie seventh round pick, which is saying a ton. I <laughs> I would say that for sure. Um, so for my off, I, I'm going to continue on the offensive train. I think that's really the only direction to go in this particular game. Um, two players jump out at me immediately. Uh, Brandon, I had a great game, nine catches, 101 yards and a touchdown. Um, and just <laughs> like absolutely baking people out there as he is wont to do. Uh, he also had a rush for 16 yards, which if it had been blocked just a tiny bit better, probably would have been another touchdown, uh, but neither here nor there. Uh, great game from B.A. He is, uh, what, 44 yards or something like that away from a thousand yard season, which would be absolutely phenomenal. Um, <laughs> the Niners hadn't had a thousand yard receiver in years, and now they might have two in a row, which is just incredible. Um, and and so, you know, great on good on him for sure. And the other name that I want to I want to throw out there um, because it's a, it's a it's a guy who gets a lot of uh, a lot of junk from from Niners fans. Um, and that is Mike McGlinchey. And uh, I, I thought the offensive line on the whole actually had a really great game. Uh, they kept pretty clean for the most part. And, you know, when the, when there was was pressure, he was able to to elude it because he's it's like he sees it coming ahead of time. It's really incredible. And, and the you know, I haven't a lot of obviously it's an offensive lineman. There's no, no like stats per se uh, to look at. But the one thing that I would say is Max Crosby, who Nick's, Nick Bosa said is humbly said is uh you know the second best defensive player in the league besides himself um which i thought was really kind um was i, I don't remember the announcers talking about him at all during the enti- the the course of the entire game which means that McGlinchey, who had to face up against him quite a quite a few times he did his job um and i, I think it's safe to say that he's he's playing some pretty good football and obviously the the motivation of the fact that he's probably that he's going to be a free agent uh, up coming soon and either he's going to get a paycheck here or somebody's going to pay him big money out elsewhere um, because, you know, pretty solid offensive linemen are, are hard to find sometimes. So I, I, I you know, kudos to, to McGlinchey for, for, for doing the job and, and for going out there. I, I, this is probably like the best pass rusher he's going to see uh, from here until maybe Philadelphia at this point. Uh, you know, I think there's probably arguments to be made for other teams uh in other places but i think he had a good game yeah you know i'm not really i don't know enough about the offensive line to make judgments on it most of the time because i'll always see somewhere someone breaking something down and i realize i was just wrong so i don't i don't never know how to evaluate mcglinchy's play but I mean, you can't deny what he did against Max Crosby. And it was such a big deal because Crosby doesn't travel 
So it was his matchup and he had to take it. And the offense was able to roll because he was able to take it. And then for Ayuk, I think he's he's one of those players. This is something that I also saw on Twitter a little bit. It's a do you know ball player. So basically, you these are the players who, if you think they're bad, you don't know football. And I think it's a really good litmus test in a way when people talk about Brandon Ayuk. Because so long as the 49ers kind of are the offense they are, his numbers are never going to be on the level of like a Justin Jefferson or a Cooper Cup. And that doesn't mean he's on their level, but his talent is so much more than his production. And he's honestly, he's a couple of small consistency steps away from being a true dominant, like number one receiver in the NFL, you know, a couple less drops, a couple, you know, more attempts in the run game, and he might be the perfect receiver for Shanahan. And it's insane that the 49ers have this because if you think about it, from where they were when this whole rebuild started to where they are now, they have two receivers that if you put on the NFLs, probably like half the teams in the league, you put either Ayuk or Debo Samuel on those teams, someone would be like, okay, there's your number one receiver. Like that's just the best guy there. And they have both of them here, not to mention George Kittle, not to mention Christian McCaffrey. It's an, it's an absurdity of riches. And, you know, I think more should be said for when players make that second jump. Last year was Ayuk making the jump from maligned player to, you know, pro, but the difference and the ability to go from solid to spectacular, that's, that's a huge threshold to clear. And he's done it admirably. And so long as he's as dangerous as he is, the 49ers have a lot of weapons and the more weapons you have, the easier it gets for whoever's playing quarterback. Yeah, too true. Um, just this is an aside, and this seems kind of wrong to mention Christian McCaffrey after that game as an aside. 19 carries, 121 yards, uh, one touchdown, uh, six catches, 72 yards, including that 38-yard uh, catch and run to, you know, basically almost secure them the game, and then that didn't work out. Um, yeah, he's he's. Uh, it, it is just it, like, do, do we? Can you even remember how many draft picks they gave up for him? Do you even care? Like, does it matter? Like, at this point, he's helping them win, and in the short term, he will help them win probably more than whoever they would have gotten with that, with those picks that they got more than likely. So, <laughs> it, again, seems strange to like be like, oh, and by the way, Christian McCaffrey also did a thing, um, considering he was like their, their, he had almost 200 yards of total offense. Um, no big deal. <laughs> not, not a small thing. You know, dominance is sometimes too easy for players like CMC, and it's good. It's good to remember we should we should admire it when we see it, because there are not many players who can do what he did. But now that he's here, you just you're like, yeah, that's Christian McCaffrey. That's what he does. Same thing when Nick Bosa seals a game. Yeah, that's Nick Bosa or Fred Warner leaves like a a post-game like chart of where defenders threw the ball of quarterbacks threw the ball and the middle of the field is empty. You're just like, yeah, like that's what the great ones do. They do it time in and time out. And he's a great one. And 
this year has been great, but imagine next year with the full mm-hmm. off season for him to get used to the team, for Shanahan to get used to him. He's he's going to be so long as he can stay healthy, he might actually just be the best offensive player in the NFL. Yep. Start putting your money on Christian McCaffrey for uh, offensive player of the year for 2023. Is that what, is that what you're saying? Well, so sure. If Could you want to listen to me, all <laughs> I'm saying is I've never trusted. So I've never trusted myself enough to place a bet, even if I was allowed yeah. to. So I don't know if I'll, anyone else would trust me. Oh, okay. Well, then we won't go go quite that far. All right. So um, that was good. Um, as you can as you can tell, listeners, that was and as you would probably expect, given the the way the game went, the good side was all very offensive heavy. I have a feeling in my bones that the downside may go the other direction. Akshaz, we'll start with you, sir. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of I. So I'm not going to really extrapolate this one game. Defenses have off games, so to bury the lead, the defense was the down, generally. But I'm going to talk about one player who I think has had enough of a specific trouble that it's starting to be a real issue. Talano Hufanga's rise to pro bowler has been incredible, and he has made game-changing plays. But he is good at this point for a coverage bust every single game. And, you know, like... I think we've mentioned this earlier. Young players need to be given the benefit of the doubt, no matter what position they play. Just because like you're really, really good as a safety doesn't mean you're not still learning. And I'm sure as he progresses and as he grows older and hopefully has many more fruitful years with the 49ers, he better understands when to kind of take those game-changing plays and when to play within the structure of the defense. But Darren Waller's first touchdown, that's a coverage bust for Humfanga. The very, very long touchdown pass to Devontae Adams, Hufanga is probably the player who needs to carry Adams as he's crossing the field instead of dropping down to rush Spidham. And these are just those plays that the 49ers defense is so, so good. And they're so, so good, not only because they can cause turnovers, but because when they're on, they just constrict everything. You don't get yards after the catch. You don't get a lot of positive plays. You really have to just like wear them out and hope it kind of works out. Or you have to get a magical chunk play and kind of get the offense going that way. And Hufanga is giving offenses ways out against a defense that will absolutely impose their will on you if you let them. And it's happened enough times now to where, okay, it's a real issue. One game, okay. Two games, eh, but he's got he's to gotta work on it now because no matter how good he will be in the future, and he's probably going to be incredible, the 49ers Super Bowl window is this year. And this year, if, let's say, we get to the Super Bowl, you're giving that to Patrick Mahomes, I'm going to be sitting on my couch thinking about another Super Bowl we lost because you can't give offenses escape points. Yeah, I think that's that's really well said. Um, he he has been spectacular at times, and then there's these head scratchers, and it's it's just, um, and and the the thing is, it's though in those particular cases, that's all mental, right? Like that has nothing to do. Well, it might have something to do with his physical ability, but most the the two that you're talking about specifically in this Raiders game, 
it's all knowing what to do when the when this particular situation happens and knowing who your guy is like I, I, you know, I get the the knock on him and why he ended up falling so late in the draft in the first place was that he's not the most athletic, you know, physical specimen of all time, which is probably true, especially in relation to other players who play that position in the NFL this, these days. But I, I think he's probably good enough to, like, stick with Darren Waller if he just knows that that's where he's supposed to stick. Right. Um and, you know, on the second one, you know, that's just knowing what you're supposed to do when the when the scramble drill kicks in and you have to make sure that 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 giant number 17 guy is covered. Like um, now we could get into some other problems with that particular play, but we will not we will not dwell on it too terribly much. But um, yeah, I'm right there with you. He's he's got to clean some of that stuff up. Um, you know, it's not happening every week. And they even showed a situation where, you know, on next Raiders drive where he didn't fall for a very similar situation where they tried to bait him into making a bad decision. Um, and that time he stuck with Waller on the, on the, the, the goal line stand that they made on the second drive. Um, so, you know, he is capable of doing it and capable of learning, but he's just got to work on the consistency. And if he can, as you say, I think he's got a really high ceiling and a bright future, but he's got to figure that out or else it's just not going to work. Cause he, he can't be your, his position is literally called safety. Like that's, your job is to be the last line of defense. Um, well, one of the last line of lines of defense. And, um, you know, frankly, if, 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 if he's not able to, to do that, then that's, that's just not gonna, it's not gonna work. Um, all right. Uh, for me, I'm definitely going to go with the defense as well. Um, just generally speaking, it was just kind of a rough game, um, you know, not to get any sacks on 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 a, in, in the situation was, was certainly frustrating. Um, but, I, you know, I do want to spin some some positivity on this a little bit, if I if I may. Um, defense gave up a lot of yards. Deep of, defense gave up a lot of points. Um, I think this is the second most in both categories uh, outside of the Chiefs game that they've done. They've given up all season. Um but it, it is important to point out because you, you mentioned you started off your thing with like we we don't want to the sky is not falling necessarily. This is not indicative of who this defense is, because because frankly, if you look at it, when it was time, when they needed to step up in a game that they were not that the unit as a whole was not particularly playing well or not getting the job done. If you think about, you know, Kerry Hyder knocking down a, a Jarrett Sidham pass and Drake Jackson, the most second most excited person uh, to do a thing on, on that particular Sunday, um, catching the ball, just falling into his arms. That was hilarious when they showed him on the, on the replay. And he's just like, it just, I just put my arms up and it just fell in there. Um, and like that, that's, that's stepping up, um, you know, in the overtime when the, the, the Raiders look like they're moving the ball down the, the field and, and Nick Bosa clearly was frustrated with the fact that he couldn't get to Jarrett Stidham, that he was just missing him. So finally, he just said, you know what, Colton Miller, you are going to sack the quarterback instead. Uh, and so and just pushed him directly into uh, into Jarrett Stidham, causing the interception that ended up being being the, the game ceiling uh, play. Um, if you look at things like that and and while as a whole, they they had a really bad game and it was probably um I'd say this is worse than the Chiefs game only because the Chiefs, you kind of expect it not to go well, right? In this game, you're just like, all right, well, where is this coming from? Like, this doesn't make any sense at all. Um, you know, chalk it up to the fact that it's a guy that never, they had no film on whatsoever, who they didn't even know they were playing until later in the week. I don't know. There's probably things you could say about that for sure. But 
I think as poorly as they played, when the moment mattered, when they needed to do something to get the offense, the ball back, to hold the Raiders, you know, you think of that goal line stand as well. <clears throat> they, you know, they stepped up and they, and they did what needed to be done. Uh, and so I think, yeah, this game is going to make their overall numbers look a little worse than they would have, you know, at the start of last week. Um, but I think by and large, while it was a bad game for the defense, I think it's not panic time by any stretch of the imagination for this for this defensive unit. Um, they're, they're still really good um, and they're still going to make mistakes, um, but I think they're still OK. Yeah, so I'm going to first kind of rain on the positivity parade by just saying that. Of course you are. Great. <laughs> just saying that, you know, they had a chance to seal the game and they didn't, which led to Brock Purdy having to lead that drive down for a field goal to Robbie Gold miss. Also, another negative. Robbie Gold is missing too many field goals. Again, I don't know yeah. how, like, what works, how kickers and kick schemes and, like, what kickers and special teams do. So I can't really tell you why or, like, what's going on or, like, obviously the intense pressure that goes on in those situations, but he makes a lot of money for a kicker to drill kicks like that. And special teams wins and loses you big games and the 49ers have fixed a lot of it. So it's important that field goal kicking isn't what does them in. But I will just say beyond that, like defensive letdown in the final two minutes, you're exactly right, Robert, and it's a huge deal. I think it's why I'm not too concerned. Sometimes offenses have your number. You can acknowledge that a defense doesn't play well and that, you know, an offense has a good game plan. The 49ers probably, I think Nick Bosa, in fact, explicitly admitted to this. They underestimated Jared Stidham. And, you know, the Raiders came out, punched him in the mouth, and they never really got a chance to recover. But they made plays when they needed to. Nick Bosa basically forcing that interception. Eric Armstead in the defense on the goal line stand. The Drick Jackson pick, as you mentioned. Good defenses find a way. Sometimes that way is literally shutting out a team. Sometimes that way is causing a turnover when needed, getting a three and out when the game is out of the balance. And the 49ers have to win, assuming they don't get the one seed. They have to win four straight games. It doesn't matter if they win them by 40 or four. It doesn't matter if the final scores are 3-0 or 53-50. They just have to win. And I think what this game, if you want to take positives from this game, really, I don't think there's a lot of takeaways necessary from a team that's kind of shown they can do it. But you know now they can do it in a different way. That when the chips are on the table, they won't fold. And that's a huge deal. And it's a big reason why I'm more confident in this team than I was before. I had in the back of my mind this concern of what if things start like spiraling and the 49ers can't play to their strengths, run the ball a ton, defense kind of sits back. And, you know, it wasn't pretty, but it was exactly what they needed to win. And a win's a win's a win. No one says, oh, man, remember how they almost won the Super Bowl or how they barely won the Super Bowl? No, you just remember Super Bowl champions. 
Yeah, I was going to say, we, we do talk a lot about how they almost won almost the Super Bowl. This, but yeah. we would talk very little. If they won the Super Bowl and they won it by three points, I don't think anybody would be like, oh, well, we only won by three. Who cares? Um, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, hoping for that 14-game winning streak to end out the season. That would be pretty spectacular. Um, and that that would... That would be that would be incredible if they won the Super Bowl and they won out for the rest of the year. They would be on a 14 game winning streak to win the, to finish the year. After they were three and five, three and three and five, three and four, um, which would just be <laughs> otherworldly. Um, anyway, um, yeah, I, I I'm I'm right there with you 100. Um, percent I have lost the. I was thinking about this while, you know, towards the end of the game when and they were driving down to try to win it in, in regulation. I'm uh, at, at no point was I even remotely concerned that that Purdy was going to do something like terribly stupid, which is strangely a feeling that I got very often with Jimmy Garoppolo. And I don't know why that is. Um, maybe because sometimes he did stupid things and Brock has not shown the propensity to terribly make that uh, to do that very often. Um, although the. <laughs> The Ayuk save game saving situation at the end there was a little bit disconcerting. I'm like, ah, I, like, what are you doing? Um, with the, where the ball was like tipped and he had to jump up and save the. I I see what he was trying to do. I actually saw it in, like in real time. I was like, oh, Kittle's wide open, but the defender made a nice play on it and um, that sort of thing. But no, I'm not terribly concerned. I feel like Purdy's got a good head on his shoulders and seems to be under control and i think that that matters a lot so i'm right there with you on all that stuff so um actually any final words on this one before we wrap things up one thing that i you know we're gonna talk a ton about this once the offseason comes but one thing i can't shake from my mind is that final play before the field goal and regulation kyle shanahan calls a play action shot play for a touchdown to kill yep and it's wide open if the defender doesn't hit Purdy. That's who Purdy was throwing the ball to. Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers has been one of the most conservative conservative head coaches. He almost always plays fuel position, clock management. And there's probably a bunch of reasons for that. But the fact that he's comfortable saying, you know what? You're not going to mess this up. Let's let's go for the throat with a rookie seventh round pick. That should be terrifying for other teams. And that should be a big sense of relief for the 49ers. Because yeah. when your head coach is going against what he's done his entire tenure in San Francisco, and he's like, yeah, we got this. It's insane. And, you know, we'll talk about this later because I think there's a lot of interesting stuff with how Shanahan calls games when he has Garoppolo, Lance, or Purdy. But – he's confident in his quarterback. And when Shanahan trusts his quarterback to make the right decision, his offenses are something else altogether. Yeah. I think Mark Sanchez even said something about like right before the play, he was like, Oh, here comes a run. And I, I was thinking the same thing too. And, and you'd be a liar if you said otherwise, like any 49er fan who has watched at any point during their, their lifetime, was like, okay, well, here we go. This is, uh, you know, probably a draw play to set up the field goal. It's going to be a longer field goal than we want because, uh, you know, like you're going to get like three yards and it's going to be, you know, whatever it would have been at that point. But, yeah, I mean, especially a a play action boot play to the left hand, to the 
quarterback to a right-handed quarterback's left-hand side, like which he seems to like a, a lot with Purdy. I don't quite understand that because um, he he has to turn his body completely in order to make the throw. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, he definitely seems to to trust Purdy to, to at least make the right decision. Like under that circumstance, he said, I know you're not going to – maybe you don't <clears> – <throat> Maybe we don't score a touchdown on this play, but if, I, I'm confident that you're going to do the right thing here and not set us up, put not not put us in a position where we can't possibly win the game right now because we give the ball back to them or whatever. Um, I think I think that says a lot. I think you're right on 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 the on the the right track there. Yeah, it's no matter how the season ends, it's going to be insane. And I, you know, I say this basically after every game, but just enjoy the ride because this is, if they win a Super Bowl, I guarantee you there's going to be a 30 for 30 on this season. So even if they don't win it, there still might be a 30 for 30. So this is, this is one of those you don't want to forget because when you think back in 20 years or however long Kyle Shanahan coaches, blah, 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 legacy. This is going to yeah. be one of those years that you will remember as part of the Kyle Shanahan legacy. For sure. For sure. Um, and who could have seen it coming? That's that's all I got to say. Um, all right. Well, that, uh, that'll wrap us up for this episode of the Niner Noise podcast, uh, part of the Fanside podcast, Fansided Podcast Network. Uh, as always, check out NinerNoise.com for all your latest 49ers news and analysis. Be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And of course, share it with all your fellow 49er fan friends. So until next time, let's sound the horn, 49ers.